So today we're going to be in Romans. We're continuing our series, Destination Known. We're in Romans chapter 8. We'll be in verses 18 through 38. If you'd like to go ahead and open up your Bibles or follow along on your tablets there. Uh, if you do have the Version Bible app, we do have a live event that you can follow along that has scriptures, main points, place to take notes, that type of thing. So if you have any interest, you can just go to the live event, search Crosspoint Fellowship, and you will find us there. So in sports... In sports, you guys all know I'm a big sports guy. In sports, there's a concept known as irrational confidence, right? Irrational confidence. Now, it's spoken more about in basketball world than any other, but irrational confidence is this idea that a player on a team can do no wrong, right? Now, every team has a player that thinks that, that despite all the contrary evidence to the fact that they can do lots of wrong, they always think, hey, the next shot's going in, the next pass will be completed, the next swing's a home run, uh, the next strike will be in the back of the net. It doesn't matter what else has happened today. It doesn't matter that I've played the worst entire game of my life. If I get the ball, I'm shooting, I'm scoring, I'm going to make something good happen. Now, sometimes these athletes are heroes, and sometimes they find themselves on the bench. As Christians, uh, we face evidence every day that our imperfections and our mistakes make us unworthy of moving forward in a relationship with God. Now, the difference between us, I think, at times, and the irrationally uh, confident athlete is that we know that we can do wrong. Now, if you don't know that you can do wrong, we'll have someone else tell you that, um, uh, and, and we'll try to work through that. But we know that we can do wrong. The other difference is, though, that as long as we continue in the attempt and keep our hope and our ability to be loved and our ability to work towards being godly, God will never take us out of the game. Okay? We must have confidence that we are gods, that we belong to God, and that God has what's best for us in his heart. Here's the thing. First thing we need to know. Present suffering does not mean future destruction. Okay? Present suffering doesn't mean future destruction. Romans 8, 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope. That a creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we will wait for it patiently. Now, unfortunately, guys, sin is part of the human condition. It's just part of life. It's something that we will always have to deal with. And a consequence of sin is suffering. Okay, there will be suffering in our lifetime. Some may suffer worse than others. We only suffer, though, because sin has corrupted creation. Okay, and that, that's human error. That's Adam and Eve. We look for somebody to blame. That's who we blame. Verse 18 says, though, that but what we suffer through is nothing compared to the future glory that we will experience. Think about that. As much as we may suffer, as bad as it may get, it will pale in comparison to the future glory that God will reveal to us. In verse 21, all of creation is longing for the day when suffering no longer has a place in its existence, 
It's groaning. See, here's the thing. One day there will be no more death. One day there will be no more death. One day there will be no more suffering. One day we will be with Jesus in glory. And that is a marvelous, wonderful, amazing thing. But until then, as long as we are in this life, we will experience suffering. Suffering will have a place among us. Verse 23, we long to be released from our suffering. That desire to move past the pain of this world was ingrained in us by the Spirit. It's what allows us to say that even though I'm suffering now, I will still praise God because I look forward to the hope that one day He will reveal in me a glory that I cannot even imagine that will make every amount of suffering that I've ever had look like absolutely nothing. And that is the hope that we have. And we must have that hope and confidence. Again, verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes in what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we will wait for it patiently. We will wait for it patiently. That hope that we have must be one that we have in confidence. We must know as Christians that that God has us in his hands and that one day there is a glory that will be revealed to us that, again, we can't even begin to comprehend. But that God tells us in verse 18 that, that it will make every amount of suffering, every amount of hardship, every amount of pain that you have experienced in your life pale in comparison. Has anyone ever been in so much pain that, that it's just like a day-to-day thing? Like, that's me. Mike, I know that's you. We've talked about that. Like, it's, it's just part of my existence. Daily, I have physical pain from back injury. Football sucks, broke my back, boo-hoo, what was me, okay? Now I'm saying all this. But every day, I have a little bit of pain. Now, there are times in my day-to-day where I forget that I'm in pain because of different joys that I experience, Right, I look around, I have time with my girls and we're playing and we're having fun and just for a little bit I forget that like my leg feels like it's about to explode until I have to stand up off the floor and then I'm like, oh, I've been down here a while. But that's kind of like what God is going to do for us if you think about it. We are going to experience so much joy. We are going to have so much of his glory that our suffering and our pain that we experience in this life will exit from our minds. It'll be non-existence. Non-existence? Non-existent. There's a T there. And it will be absolutely, positively magnificent for us. Here's the second thing I want you to know. God chose you. God chose you. Romans 8, 26-30. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Listen to that again. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. How many of you can say, I knew that the Spirit intercedes on my behalf? Now this is a passage that, if I'm being honest, I've probably read 30, 40 times in my life and just probably through college alone. 
right? Over all the debates about Calvinism and stuff, like you read this nonstop. But for some reason, for some reason, if I'm just being honest, this is the first time that it's really stuck with me that the Spirit intercedes daily on my behalf. When I don't know what I need, the Spirit is groaning out to God on my behalf. It's speaking on my behalf. When I am lost in confusion, when I'm lost in pain, when I'm lost in suffering, when I feel like God's not hearing me, or even when I feel like I can't talk to God, or sometimes I just I don't know what to ask for, the Spirit is there working on my behalf. It's doing that job for me. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? That God would give us something in our lives to not only lead and guide us and direct us like we talked about last week, but to literally intercede and go to bat for us and fight for us when we are confused about what it is that we even need. Verse 28, and here's something I think that a lot of us need to hear today. For those of you who love God, who have placed their faith in God, God is working on your behalf. Okay, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, you may not be where you want to be. In life, you may not be where you want to be. And at times, you may find yourself in a place where you're just like, I hate this. I would rather be anywhere else. I'd rather be experience, experiencing anything else. I don't want this to be a part of my existence. You may find yourself in there, hopefully once in your life, but probably not. Probably a lot more. At times where you'll just be like, I don't want this. I don't want to be here. You may have days where you don't see any good in what's happening to you. But know that in everything, God is working. God is working in every instance to bring victory in your life. See, this is one of the things that I think is honestly maybe one of the most amazing aspects of who God is. Like one, in my mind, is the fact that he loved us enough that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. That's a big deal, in case you guys were wondering. Like to Christians, that's a huge deal. That, that, that's one. But this is right up there in my mind. That in the suffering that we can experience and all the messed up, muddy waters and the dirty places we find ourselves and the way that we sometimes feel about ourselves inside and the situations we find ourselves in where we think this is just terrible and I don't want any more of this, God can use that and make us better. God can use that and make us better. And he can bring about glory from darkness. And he can say all the suffering that you've had in your life will pale in comparison to the glory that I'm going to reveal to you. But even now that you suffer, I'm refining you. I'm making you better. I'm making you stronger. Those things that you're going through right now may not seem like they serve a purpose. And you know what? If God had it his way, guess what? We wouldn't experience sin. We wouldn't experience sin. We wouldn't experience pain. We wouldn't experience suffering. See, God wanted us in the garden right? He wanted us there innocent. He wanted us there in relationship with him. He wanted us to walk with him on a daily basis. He wanted to be there side by side, always with us. But sin came into the equation and God just can't be a part of that. He can't be a part of that. But he loves us so much and he's so powerful and he's so amazing that even in our sin, even in all the dirt and the disgustingness, he can take that and he can say, I can bring about a good resolution for this person. We've talked about in my life how I've experienced things like depression, and the day-to-day pain, and, and you know what? It stinks. I don't enjoy it. I would rather not have that. I don't want those battles, but it has made me such a better person. 
It's made me more empathetic. It's allowed me to see people when they go through struggles and really have a heart for them and feel for them and say, I don't know exactly maybe what you're going through, but I can relate with that a little bit. And overall, I am a better human being today than I was 10 years ago before the depression took it, came into place and before I injured my back. Like, yeah, I have pain. And it's not fun. But despite all of that, God is working together for my good and He's, he's taking all these things and He's weaving this beautiful blanket that just says, everything will be okay. And you will be better for this. And you will be stronger for this. Be confident as people that God is not against you. God is not against you. He does not punish you individually for the sins day to day to day. And what I mean by this is this. Sometimes we have things happen in life and we think, this must be God punishing me. This must be God punishing me. Like if we think about the story of Job, right? Job's like, God must be punishing me. Right? Or all his friends thought that at least. God's punishing you. And he said, I haven't done anything for God to punish me. If there is a God, then there is a Satan. If there is good, then there is evil. There is such thing as sin, and sin corrupts the creation that we live in on a day-to-day basis. And part of that sin, as I've already stated, is suffering. You will suffer. You will suffer. That does not mean that God does not love you. That does not mean that God hates you. That does not mean that God is punishing you. That means that you are living as part of the human condition that is fallen, that is creation. And one day God is going to reveal a glory. He's going to take that and he's going to make it so wonderful and so amazing that you won't even remember this stuff. You won't even be able to comprehend what's happening. And if that's not a mic drop of all mic drops, if God's not just like, hey, look what I can do, like Stuart from Mad TV, look what I can do. You know what I mean? And then you're just being like, holy cow, look at this. Like, look what he did. Look what he did. If that's not amazing to you, I don't know what is. I really don't. Like, we can still be friends, but I don't know how we can be on the same level. Because that blows me away. God loves you. Always. End of story. God loves you. Always. End of story. Long scripture here. Bear with me. 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's rhetorical. The answer is no one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. That one they answer for you. Christ, Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Not only do you have the Spirit on the day-to-day interceding for all the things that you don't know that you need, Jesus is literally camping out, sitting right next to God saying, oh, by the way, that one, he's mine. That, that girl right there, yeah, she's mine. They belong to me. This is what they need. This is what we need to do for them. He is interceding on our behalf so that one day all this pain and the suffering that I've been talking about this morning can really go away so that we can really experience glory. Is that not amazing? The Spirit and God and Jesus, the Son, they're they're sitting there going to bat for us every single day. The Spirit intercedes. Jesus intercedes. God is working together for our good. I mean, I might stop right now. I don't know. I've got more, but who knows what's going to happen. 
That's crazy. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. The answer there again, no one. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's our reality. That's what we are. Death is coming. Death is coming. But that's death of this body. That's the end of this life. And if we have Jesus, then we get a brand new ball game. And we have something that we could never have even imagined. That is our also reality. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that by neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we as Southern Baptists, which we technically are, Believe that once we are saved, we are always saved because there is nothing once God has his hands around us that can take us from who God is. Can't happen. Doesn't work. Won't do it. If you have Christ in your heart, you are his and you are his forever. And the Spirit's interceding and Jesus is interceding and God is working together for your good and he loves you and you are his. I'm about to throw down every mic on this stage, Phil. I know they're new, but they're about to just be crushed. There's so much here. There's so much here, but what I need you to hear today is that God loves you. If you've ever had any doubts, what I need you to hear more than anything in the world is that God loves you. And going through suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Suffering does not equate to punishment. Now, we've talked about this. See, despite all these things, despite all of the pain and and the yuckiness, I have a six-year-old, sorry, yuckiness that we experience on the day-to-day. Overwhelming victory is ours in Christ who loved us and loves you. And nothing, 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 I'll say it a thousand times, nothing can separate us from the fact that he loves us. Nothing. And you know what? Because this is so, And because we're in this time of Thanksgiving, I still have another one to go to, by the way, tonight. I'm feeling like a heart attack could happen at any moment. But because this is so, and because we are in this time of Thanksgiving, I can see nothing greater than for us to take communion and remembrance of all that Christ has done for us and the love that God has for us.